it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. Steve. A blimp. We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, here we are. Ready to rock and roll on a Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? I'm having trouble with the days of the week. I don't know what it is, but it's Wednesday. We're ready to roll. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker here with you after another day on the practice field for the Bills as we inch ever closer to the team's second preseason game. And um, while uh, thing, it was an interesting practice today, Steve, but first I have to talk to you being a fellow dog owner about my dog. So we, we had two dogs. We unfortunately lost our older dog um, back in June. And my younger dog is the not a very intelligent dog. And now that my son's away at college, he was, this dog was pretty tight with him. And um, she, she tried to break out of her crate where we put her during the day when we're not at home. She wasn't in there long. She escaped. She, like, bent the gate that opens for the crate. Right. That was intact. Oh. But the top bar she had pulled away with her mouth, somehow squeezed through, and, you know, was there to, uh, to greet you at the side door when you got home. Did she wreck the house? Well, we looked around, and there was no foul play, it appeared, except in my son's bedroom. His bed was completely disheveled. It looked like the dog was trying, she was trying to get into the bed and like under the covers right. or whatever. So I don't know if, it, in a way, it's kind of sweet. Like, I don't know if yeah. she was missing him or what, but she's probably a little out of sorts with who's Absolutely. in the house and who's not in the house now. So I'm, I'm trying to, you're a dog veteran, so I'm trying to get your, your thoughts on this because well, it, we don't want her breaking out of the dang thing. First of all, it doesn't seem serious. It's a little case of separation yeah. anxiety. But for me, I first of all, I get a new crate that is indestructible. Yeah. I mean, I can bend it back with. It's a metal crate. Right. Like, oh yeah, I get it. What I would do is, if you can bend it back and stuff, I then get some zip ties and zip it so it won't. Oh, all right. And then uh, so she can't get out. And then you might try radio. Well, we put the radio on. Oh, okay. She actually listens to the show during the day. Oh, okay. We've, we've got the show favorite. on. She's my favorite because <laughs> my dog Vern does not listen to the show. Really? Um, wow, come on. If you put the radio on, he's got no choice but to listen, right? Yeah, but the house is full of people. So. Oh. Um, yeah, that's that's rough because you always feel bad for the dog, too. Yeah. He's like, yeah you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's tough. It's obvious she's missing missing the big guy, but. I don't know what. Ask Carter. What would he do? I don't know. Like he was, his last couple of weeks at home, he was, he was letting her sleep in the bed and all that stuff. I was like, this is oh, a bad see, road yeah, to go well, down, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I, I told him, I said, don't do that. Number one, because I don't want her up on people's beds. Number two, right. I said, you're not going to be here in two weeks. I said, right. this is not good. Here's my advice. And now Brownie. here's what we get out of that. Here's and who's advice. left holding the bag? Here's my advice, me. Brownie. Here's what you do: move the dog into his room. Just let her have it. Just turn her loose. Give her the room? Give her the room. Come on. Be that I kind of I don't know guy. if I'm feeling that. It's not my house. I'm not, I don't know <laughs> if I'm feeling that. Give her the room. 
Uh, Let her sleep on the bed. Put an extra. Put a. Uh, put her bed in there. Put her bed in there. Put her bed on his bed and leave. Oh her. no, I'm not doing that. Come on. She can. She can have. Come her on, bed Dad. On, she can have her bed on the floor. You heal. Come on. <laughs> Just put a nice big, an old, uh, worn out blanket on his bed. Let, she'll be fine. And that's where she'll sleep. And then he can sleep in her bed when he comes home. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Well, you know, his old bed turns into her bed now. Oh, right? that's what I mean. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, just give her the room. All right. I, I don't think that's going to fly. Tell Tracy I said. I don't think that's going to fly. On Tell the home her front, I said. But we'll see. That's the that's the right I form am, of therapy yes. right there. Just give him as the room. As far as our dogs go, the family knows me as Mr. No. <laughs> yes. Because they all, you know, see, if it was up to them, Uncle, I'm if Uncle it was up yes. to them, the I'm dogs would Uncle have free yes. reign. Right here. Uncle yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure just you are. Give the dog. Yeah. Get no impact on you in your life. That's right. Um, you all okay. get happier. I'll, I'll let you know what the verdict is when I run that by yeah, everybody let me know what the verdict on the home is. front. Let me wait. I'll oh, write just down. give them, let just me give write, them the, let your me son's just, I'll write on the whiteboard after the yeah. show what the verdict's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, we wanted to get to NFL news and notes, and we'll have more on this later. So I <laughs> – I don't know what to make of this anymore. We heard yesterday that Panthers-Patriots joint practices got way out of hand. There were two fights. Players got ejected from practice. Today, day two of joint practices between the Panthers and Patriots, play one of team segments. Christian McCaffrey takes the ball, first snap, gets tackled out of bounds to the ground. I don't know what their rules of engagement are over there, but gets tackled out of bounds and to the ground. He pops up and throws the football at the tackler, and after that it's on like Donkey Kong. So one play in, and they're going at each other again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was described day. as a melee. I think that's a little strong. There's a couple. Because I saw some of the film. Of yeah, a lot of pushing of and videos. shoving. A couple and, of phone videos. Big crowd of guys, crap, you know, spinning around. It's... So, according to our good friend Mike Giardi from NFL Network, who was at the practice, he said Dietrich Wise, the defensive lineman for the Patriots, appears to have been ejected from practice, and he said bad look for both teams. Um. So there's that. And, I mean, there is a law of diminishing returns here when you have too many of these dust-ups because you're wasting everybody's time in terms of getting the work done that you want to get done in a competitive setting like that. And people say, ah, what? It's only three fights and how many plays? Yeah, Two in one practice is too many. You know, it's one thing if you have some jaw jacking and a little pushing and shoving after the play. But when you have guys coming across to the opposite sideline and you got 100 guys pushing and shoving each other, it's just now you've wasted like five minutes that you're not going to get back. I mean, could you run practice five minutes longer? Maybe. Um, right. I don't know what the union rules say about that. Uh, yeah, but that's right. But, yeah, but this is the second like, straight day of this right, garbage. Yesterday, Kenny Robinson got tossed. Uh, Christian Wilkerson got tossed, and then today Wilkerson got carted off, which led to a 
to this melee with Dietrich Weiss, and, and McCaffrey was a little later than that. So somebody got uh, injured in the fight or on the play? No, they got, the, guy got, the kid that got thrown out yesterday, the wide receiver from the Patriots, Christian Wilkerson, got whacked after he fought yesterday and got thrown out. So somebody hit him today. Oh, payback. And he stayed down. There was a fight after that. Then, All right. uh, center, in this yesterday, center for the Patriots, uh, James Ferentz, and Carolina tackle Phil Hoskins, they got tossed yesterday as well. Yeah, so, I did see that. Um, yes, multiple guys. And I, I said it yesterday, bad teams, you know, don't – bad teams do that. They're trying to prove something to themselves and, you know, to other the other team as well. Um, I don't know. I, I hear a lot, even of Patriots media, piling on the – I think there's a big – a big – mindset in new england right now where they have all this to prove they got to really prove something they went to the playoffs last year with a rookie yeah. quarterback but there still seems to be this burden on the patriots to prove they haven't it hasn't all fallen apart you know what i mean mm -hmm. and yeah i i don't think there's anybody over there who can actually step away and see how good that franchise ha is and has been and even is now even with mac jones yeah. they were a playoff team last year Certainly they had issues and their roster's not that good and all that yet, but you can say whatever you want. They're a playoff team. Okay. And you would expect them to be better this year. You can, you can, you know, rain on their draft all you want. They got, the, you know, everybody laughing at that first-round pick, Cole Strange, who should have been maybe a third-round pick. But nevertheless, there seems to be this mindset in New England. They got all kinds of things to prove. And we heard that, you know, we heard all the time about them. But I'm really surprised at that by that franchise, that they're coming out and having to go through all of this with whoever it is with the Carolina Panthers. You know, now the Panthers, I can see, they got something, to go, they got something going on. over. They got a, it's put up or shut up time for them. It's Sam Darnold and, and Baker, Baker Mayfield and whoever else they've got. They're trying to find themselves. Matt Rule is on thin ice. The thinnest of ice, in my opinion. So I can see it coming from Carolina, but what are the Patriots doing? I don't know. I don't get it. Um, meanwhile, you have other joint practices going on, Vikings and 49ers, and no issues. Yeah. Two right. days of practices, no issues. So I don't know what to make of it, but I think that uh, – you you gotta you gotta be better than that. I mean, it's almost well, like I, I, I understand emotions run high, and sometimes it gets the better of you, and you do something stupid. But after you've seen examples of it, just the day before, to start in on it right away again, I don't know. It just it doesn't add up for me. And maybe I'm with you. And I'm and don't get me wrong. I mean, I was I'm as hyper competitive as the next person, but it just. It just seems counterproductive to what you're trying to get done there. Um, meanwhile, at Chiefs camp, it's been reported that wide receiver Mecole Hardman has been carted off the field. It was due to a reported groin injury. The severity is unclear. This is from multiple reports out there. But Hardman was able to walk off the field before getting on a cart to head into the locker room. They're deeming that to be a positive sign. I don't know. You can walk with a groin injury. A pretty serious one. Um, so we'll have to see what comes of that. 
groin injury for a wide receiver, that's that's tough because you're using those muscles every time you run around and make a cut, are you not? Yeah. So that thing's got to be 100% right before you're running full speed again routes. So, I mean, hopefully for his sake, it's not severe. Otherwise, it it might take him a week or two to get right. Yeah, you've got the – that's any kind of leg injury, foot injury is is a big one for for those guys. That's all they do. They got to run. Yeah. They got to run, and they got to feel good about it. Be interesting to see how long he's on the shelf with that injury. We'll wait for more word on that. Seahawks quarterback Drew Locke, Steve. Did you see this? He tested positive for COVID, and he is going to miss – the Seahawks Thursday night preseason game against the Chicago Bears. So he was so he's in a quarterback competition for those that don't know. Geno Smith started the first preseason game. Drew Locke was scheduled to start the second preseason game for the Seahawks. Well, that's not going to happen now because he's got COVID. So talk about an unfortunate time to miss a start during a quarterback competition. Good Lord. But Locke is out of luck, so Geno Smith will start again just like he did in the preseason opener. So, I mean, where do I think that thing's going? Your guess is as good as mine. Right. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that team. I really don't. They're, they have a chance to be really bad. Yeah, I was perplexed. I saw... This is the same Geno Smith that got his jaw broken by a teammate because he was such a donkey. Yes. IKN and Polly was that player, and he eventually became a Bill. Yeah, he was a Bill for a minute. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's that, and we've had, I've heard too. They're a team in who, transition, clearly. A team, a person who was reported on that, on that team, and, and I heard him, I, it was off the record, and not off the record, but it was their own observation. They said that the Seahawks are, it's a bunch of guys. Now, certainly it's a football team and all that, but they are disinterested in being friends with each other. Oh, they're not like a family They're not a f- at all. They're guys who work together. Wow. Um, which is really tough to fathom. And that, yeah, because, I mean, I don't think Pete Carroll gives off that air, does he? Do Pete's you, a, no, Pete is a Pete team is like builder. a, yeah, that, but that's why I'm surprised to hear that. There were, like, you know, you say, hey, um, you know, like uh, DK Metcalf signed a new deal. You know, it's, you'd think his boys like, hey, all right. And they were like, yeah, hmm. good for him. I mean, there's wow. no, yeah. So they've got it. Knowing that, they got a, that's a steep hill to climb. Yeah. So Drew Locke has a steep hill to climb if he's going to be the starting quarterback because he's not going to be starting this week due to the fact that he has COVID. So unfortunate for him, to say the least. Then there's the weird story concerning Jimmy Garoppolo. Did you see this? It was first reported by the San Francisco Chronicle and has since been confirmed by NBC's Chris Sims, where essentially it's been reported that in years past, when they get to the offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo drops off the radar. Gone. Yeah, ignores them. Doesn't return calls from coaches or teammates. Doesn't return texts. Doesn't respond is just, he's like Kaiser Soze from the Usual Suspects <laughs> right. movie. He's gone. He's just gone. And nobody can get a hold of him. To the point where representatives from the team 
had to drive to his house and knock on the door. And Chris Sims essentially confirmed it. But it's 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 been given a moniker. It's called the Jimmy G Vanishing Act. This offseason, when he had to have surgery and then go through rehab to get himself right to make himself a trade commodity, was the only offseason where he was readily available and reachable by phone or in person. So Chris yeah. Sims, who does uh, a show with Mike Florio uh, on Pro Football on NBC, he confirmed this, Steve. He said a longstanding 49ers player confirmed to him uh, he goes off the radar all the time. Apparently, it's not just the offseason. Nobody can get in contact with him. And that, yes, it is true. They've had to physically drive to his house, knock on the door, and yell, hello, are you alive? For a quarterback on an NFL team, a starting quarterback. Yeah, that's Is that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Yes. That's top five. I mean, for the quarterback position, you can't have that. That's top five. That Not only is that weird for anybody who is part of a team and does all that, but think about this. Most of these guys, like Aaron Rodgers, now, even Aaron Rodgers. He's a little cryptic. Yeah. He, yeah but you know what? If they're going to sign an offensive player, they pick, he picks, they pick up and we'll call him. Yeah. Because he wants, like, hey, hey. Aaron, call this guy. Aaron, what do you think? We're thinking about doing this, this, you know, copacetic with you. you don't have a beef with this guy, right? Or we're going to get you another wide receiver. Here's some film on him. What do you think? You know, because that's they do it with Josh. Or he's on the fence. Give him a call. Like, right. seal, help us seal the deal here. Right. All of that. Most of these quarterbacks, it's a sign of respect and a little bit of like, yeah, you, if I'm going to be throwing to somebody, you better let me know who it is before you sign him. I want to vet him. This guy – Seems like he could not only could not care less about any of the transactions you're going to do this offseason, he didn't care about you. He's just ghosting people. But like <laughs> the, he ghosts teammates. I don't yeah. understand. Like, like what if like one of your linemen is trying to get a hold of you because I don't know, he wants to go to dinner or something. Or he got a charity he wants you to or, sign some or stuff. Or that. For. Yeah. Whatever. And I mean, that guy's protecting your rear end every week. You're not going to call him back? Like what what are you doing? How does it go when you finally do get back in the like training camp starts? Like, hey, where where you been? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's got to be a it's little like awkward. No right? off season fishing or golfing trips. No hanging out with your buddies. I, 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 no, you know, is that just a per, maybe it's a personality flaw? I I don't know what it is. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. And I get it. Okay, fine. But given the environment in which we live, where guys. You know, all their weird idiosyncrasies kind of come out at some point. Yeah. It makes you kind of think, what does he do? Well, I like what yeah. does he now he's got to train, right? He's gonna be a professional athlete, he's gonna train, he's gonna stay in shape. Yeah. But what Outside else is he of doing? That, yeah. What else is he doing that nobody knows about? Right. Well, so now now that this story has come out, it has led to it has fueled speculation as to why the 49ers have not yet traded him. Because all these other teams are aware of this behavior, doing their own, you know, because they vet this stuff. If you're going to invest sure. in a quarterback, you're vetting that guy eight ways to Sunday. Yeah, and there's relationships So they've uncovered around, this, undoubtedly. Right. Certainly there's guys on the 49ers staff with Kyle Shanahan at his age and his stature in the league. He's got guys on his staff who have worked with a thousand other guys in staffs around the league, and they're all calling each other and say, what about it? What's up with Jimmy? He's like, you know what? 
guy disappears in the offseason. Yeah. What do you mean, disappears? He doesn't show up at the facility? No, no, no. We don't know what he does. We he, can't find him. We can't find him. He doesn't call us. We can't call him. He, like, literally drops off the map. And that guy's going to be the face of your franchise? No Like, what way, do they do? Jose. What do they doesn't? Don't they call him, like, if they're going to sign wideouts or anything? Goes, we can't get hold of him. That's unbelievable. That's different with a capital D. Who's going to be interested in that guy? You know what I mean? Like, if you're a football team, even if you need a quarterback, it's, uh, yeah. whoever, whatever team you are, do you want to you want to give up assets for that? I don't think you do. I mean, maybe you stomach it if it's like an all-world player. Like, if Dan Marino had that personality or just needs time away, you might stomach it for what you get on the field. But you're not even getting a guy that's a prolific passer. Like, you know, who's going to trade for now, that guy? Certainly, certainly Jimmy's not an elite quarterback. He's an also-ran at quarterback, right? He's, a, he's an average He's like man, right? Yeah. Okay, he's man. What does it say about us, and when I say us, the collective us, everybody who wears an, an, a logo, a team logo or a league logo, or even us as a society, okay? All right. What's it say about us when – Deshaun Watson gets like this mega deal and knowing all the idiosyncrasies about yeah. him and it it's away from the field, all that stuff. You know, on the field the guy's a, a you know, a killer. Off the field he's a creep, to say the least. What's it say about the football league when nobody wants to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo when he's just okay on the field and he's got all these like, eh, I don't know about he's like disappears off the field. Yeah. So one I mean they're not that different. I mean, they are different because yeah. Jimmy G's not been a You know what I mean? What do we know about these guys? One guy was coveted. The other guy is like, everybody's like stiff-arming him on trade. Dude, that's crazy. I, the whole thing You would weird. think everybody would stiff-arm the Texans for that, for Deshaun. Yeah. And everybody would love Jimmy G because at least the guys, you know, he shows up and all that, but now all of a sudden, just because he likes his offseason, everybody's stiff-arming him. I wonder if they're going to be able to move him for anything. I, well, everybody's kind of counting on the fact that they can't. They don't want to pay the $24 million. Yeah, and then they'll just they'll clip just him. They'll just clip him, and they'll and – th but then, see, if you're if, – Then you'll get an opportunity. You're yeah, try you out somewhere. You, they want to interview you, sit you down. Hey, he's coming off this, surgery. What's with this we're hearing about, you know, you ghosting Listen, people? Listen, if, if – I'd if love to hear the answer to that if question. The Cardinals, if the Cardinals can put a you've got a study clause in Kyler Murray's thing, <laughs> the team that you picks can't up ghost, a no ghost you can't, clause. You have a no ghost clause. You have to answer my calls. You when can't ghost You us. have 10 minutes to answer my text. <laughs> or you're, you're like, but that's good. But that's, you know, that's where they're at. I think they're waiting for a team, the team to clip him. And, but here's the problem with that. If you're, say, the Seattle Seahawks, or one of these other teams, or even, uh, what, the Carolina Panthers, or one of these other teams that's looking for a quarterback. Houston made with, with Davis Mills, yeah. although they may like the kid. You're Then, when they cut him, now you're right – he's a free agent. You're right back to square one. You're going to pay the guy a ton. If you trade for him, it's $24 million. Are you going to get him for $24 yeah. million after the after he's cut when you're, in, when you're in a bidding war with Seattle and Carolina and – Houston, you know, 
Tennessee. Well, Nick Casario, who's the GM in Houston, he does know Garoppolo from their days together in New England. So right. if he had not seen that before and now is learning about that kind of behavior now, I wonder what he thinks, if he's even remotely interested in acquiring Garoppolo as a veteran backup or something. I don't know. It's, it's wacky. The whole thing's weird. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Last NFL news and note, and this is a big one, Derwin James and the Chargers have agreed on a massive four-year, $76.4 million extension, which averages just over $19 million a year and resets the safety market. The deal makes James the highest-paid safety in NFL history, $29.1 million in year one alone, $42 million guaranteed. Both of those figures are records for a safety. And James is about as versatile a secondary piece as you're going to find in the league. He can play outside corner. He can play slot. He can play either safety position. Um, he is a unicorn as a defensive back, and he's just entering the prime of his career. So I understand the commitment there. By the way, I didn't even realize this. He was a hold-in at camp. He was not practicing. He was there, but he was not practicing. Uh, so that deal gets done. It's huge. Good for him. That's, that's how it's done these days. It's a ho you hold in. You don't hold out. Right. You go in, you refuse, and you're just not going to play. Say, listen, I'll be here, and I'm going to do this, but I ain't playing. Don't even ask me to step on the field. Yeah. That's the way it's done, and, and good for him. He's that, you're right. He's a unicorn. You think about all the money the Chargers have shelled out, Steve. $20 million a year for Mike Williams, the receiver. The Khalil Mack trade and the contract they inherited there. Defensive tackle, Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, the corner from New England. J.C. Jackson. Jackson. They have shelled out a ton of cash, all because Justin Herbert is still on his rookie contract. It's right. going to be interesting to see how that shifts and changes. And I, I've heard that, too. Years. Their new coach, um, and I can't even think of the guy. Brandon guys. Staley. Brandon Staley has said now that their, their role now, their, their goal now and their kind of mindset is to overcome what Chargers teams have always been able to overcome, they, the, to rise above the reputation of their franchise. Yeah. They've always had great. They've had great players here. They they made one Super Bowl in their history, but they've always been underachieving franchise. No matter who was playing for them, Dan Fouts, Kellen Winslow, John Jeff Jefferson, Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, Ladanian Tomlinson. Ladanian Tomlinson. You go down the list. Billy Ray Smith. Sean Merriman. Billy Ray Smith. Uh, you yeah. So there's a a, lit a litany of tremendous great players who have played for them have never. Won anything. Won a thing. They've gotten to a Super Bowl in 95, I think. Yeah. And that's it. They, you know, playoffs are even yeah. out of the question for them. They are perennial mediocre, mediocrity. So Brandon Staley has told them, hey, man, that let's not make that us. That would be different. And they've certainly spent the money where you would think it, they shouldn't be. Some might be thinking, uh, how does this impact Jordan Poyer and his contract situation? I don't believe that it does because it's kind of apples and oranges. you got a young player who's entering the prime of his career and, as I said, is kind of a unicorn-type safety. That's not to take anything away from Jordan Poyer, who was second-team All-Pro last year. He's a fantastic player. But I think where Derwin James is in his career, 
is much different than where Jordan Poyer is in his career. So will it be brought up? Probably. Does it inflate the value of the safety position? It unquestionably does. So it may help. There may be a ripple effect that ultimately helps Jordan Poyer in his negotiation with the Bills. Um, but I don't think it's going to dramatically shift where the two parties might be in terms of more money for Buffalo's veteran safety. But we'll see. We'll right. have to see. Right. We've got some people waiting online at 803-0550. We'll get to the Twitter question in just a second, but let's get to a couple of these here. And we lead off with Dave in Kenmore. Dave, what do you have for us? You're on One Bills Live. Dave, are you there? All right, Dave's not there. We'll put him on hold. We'll uh, move along and go to George in Cheektowaga. George, what do you have for us? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, what's up? Not much. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say, Steve, the reason that all the callers believe that you should be in the Hall of Fame isn't just because we're all homers and you're one of us. It's because you truly changed the position of a special teams specialist. And they have, I mean, they still uh, mimic or try to mirror what you did. And that is what is worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. You changed the way the game is played. And thanks, Steve. I appreciate it, George. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask is, do you think, I I mean, with Dable being uh, finally hired away, um, there was, I didn't hear one word about Leslie Frazier getting interviewed by anybody. Do you think the, the last 30 seconds of the Kansas City game is what cost him a job, or do you think it was his age? I think it probably is a little bit of his age. He's he's in his 60s. Yeah, he's in his early 60s. Um, I don't think the 13 seconds had as much to do with it as um, if you're looking for reasons. I mean, there's possibilities. His age is one thing. Uh, another thing might be that while the defense here in Buffalo was ranked number one, you know, they, they had a schedule that was pretty easy. So um, – yeah, and there's really no good reason for it. I mean, Leslie Frazier is a stellar guy. Everybody here in this building reveres him. More than him. qualified. Uh, he's more than qualified. I, I don't, I'm not saying that he automatically should be rubber-stamped a head coach in the National Football League, but goodness gracious, you should talk to the guy about your spot. I'm trying to think off the top of my head about all the jobs that were filled and how many were filled by offensive coaches. You had Brian Dable with the Giants. You had... Um, the guy that left the Rams staff to go coach the Vikings, offensive coach. Matt Eberflus is Chicago's new coach. He is a defensive coordinator. Doug Peterson goes to Jacksonville. Offensive guy. Offensive guy. So I, I think there has been a trend of yeah, late. Uh, to Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Hackett in Denver is another one. So the trend of late, not just this past year, but in previous years, has been to hire an off a coach with an offensive coaching background. And I think it's rooted in the fact that the quarterback position is so important that they want to have a person at the elbow of that quarterback without the risk of losing that coach. And the best way to do that is, is to hire an offensive coordinator as your head coach. And we've seen some of that. Josh McDaniels goes to Las Vegas. There's another one. And I think it unfairly penalizes defensive coordinators with strong resumes 
to get head coaching jobs because they yeah. want to cater to the quarterback and keep that smooth running operation in which the offense can put up points and the quarterback keeps the same system intact. I'll say this, though. Um, you look around, and there's a ton of guys that are on the defensive side of the ball that that got hired in the last year or two or three. Houston with Lovey Smith, he's a defensive guy. That was this year. The yeah. Jets with Robert Sala, who's who's into his going yes. into his. Oh no, they're year. they're a defensive coaches. Chicago went with Eberflus. Tampa Bay went with Todd Bowles. Although they're, they're well, uh, some of these, they're elevating from within, which is a little different scenario. And Dennis Allen with the Saints. Dennis Allen with the Saints. Yeah. So uh, those are defensive guys. I I don't know the numbers, but just. The optics for me, it seems to be leaning. It might only be 65, 35. Right. It just seems to be leaning more towards the offensive end. And I think it's rooted in the fact that people don't want owners who need a new head coach and have a quarterback in place don't want a scenario where they have an offensive coordinator who's lighting it up with their quarterback and then they lose him to a head coaching job, much like right. the Bills did here with Brian Dable. Right. Um, they're worried about that being impacted. And so the way to insulate yourself against that is to hire an offensive coordinator to be your head coach. We can, we can talk about this. Yeah, yeah continue. we got to take a break here. We'll get back to more of your phone calls. We're also talking on the Twitter poll about the player you need to see more of coming up in preseason game number two. Who do you need a better evaluation on going forward? Let us know at 803-0550. 1-888-550-2550. You're on the Tweet Sheet at One Bills Live. We're back in a second. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And prior to practice today, defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier addressed the media. We got some of his thoughts on some of the player performances in the first preseason game on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, we'll get into some of the practice notes from today as well after Coach Frazier is done. But here is Buffalo's defensive coordinator prior to practice today. I'm uh, thinking that most of you are probably like we are. You're happy to be back in Orchard Park and uh, guys are working hard and uh, glad to be driving home at night. The, the veterans, the rookies, of course, are hotel bound. Uh, which is not all bad uh, for them. But it is good to be back. Uh, we have a lot of work to get done uh, as we are approaching the regular season. And uh, guys are working hard, and we look forward to another preseason opportunity that's, that's awaiting us. So uh, it should be a, a good week of work for us. You know, uh, St. John's Fisher was good uh, for the time that we were there. Uh, but it's good to break camp and come back home as well. You know, you look forward to when you break camp for a lot of different reasons. And uh, it was a good experience up there, but it's good to be home. You saw Dane didn't play in the preseason opener. What was the thinking behind that? Just wanted to be able to, John, take a good look at the young corners uh, as much as we could. Uh, we have a pretty good feel for Dane, and, 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 and he'll get some work before the preseason is done, I'm sure. Uh, but we wanted to get as many views of our young corners as we could. And, and it'll be the same way in these final two preseason games. We need to get a real good evaluation of, uh, of the two of them and, and make a good decision leading up to our, our season opener. In terms of competition, how does, where does that place him in terms of 
you have a comfortable feeling for where he is and getting more of a look of them, it, is he, does that slot him differently in a competition uh, potentially start at the beginning of the season? Yeah, for sure. You know, we, he's played games for us. Uh, his experience uh, matters, although it's limited uh, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, for us, you know, he, he's ahead of the, 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 the rookie corners that we have. And we just needed to be able to see them more. And we, like I said, we want to see more of them in the next couple ball games as well. What, what were your impressions of um, Kair and Christian in that first preseason game? I was really impressed with their work. I mean, they both uh, did a really good job. Uh, they were both targeted. And when they had opportunities to make plays, they made plays. Um, they were physical. Uh, they, they got their hands on balls. They were good in man coverage. For the most part, the eyes were where they should have been in zone. Uh, so we were pleased uh, with their first outing. Um, and now with the practices that we have remaining, along with the two preseason games, uh, you want them just to continue to grow and develop. And we got to keep putting them out there and putting them in different situations uh, and see how they respond. Wesley, they both respond sort of like nothing's too big for them. But is there a part where you're thinking almost like you think you know, but you don't? really know yet because you know what's coming. Yeah. How does that work with these young guys who have confidence, which is a good thing? That's a really good observation. I've had that thought in my mind because uh, even though they're doing some good things now, I just know when you get to the regular season, I mean, that's a big bullseye on a rookie corner's uh, chest. And, you know, you there are more things thrown at you. And we're trying to throw as much as we can at them this time of the year. Uh, but there's nothing like, you know, being in game situations. And the good thing is they're both very confident in their abilities and that show in the way they played uh, in this, this first preseason game. And uh, that's a big deal at corner. But you're right. Uh, there are some things coming that, you know, there's no way to really simulate. They just have to go out and, 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 and perform in those situations. And as I mentioned, we're trying to give them as many looks and put them in as many different situations as we can, but there's nothing like playing on a, a live game. Yeah, like I said, Joe, it would be great if we were to get him. Uh, if uh, Nate Bresky, our trainer, head trainer, where they come by this morning and say, hey, Ter Davis is going to be ready to go tomorrow. That would be welcome news. Uh, but in the meantime, really got to do a good job of getting Christian, uh, getting Kyrie ready, along with Dane, and, and, and see what happens from there. Um, so we're just kind of crossing our fingers, hoping we'll get Ter Davis uh, soon. But uh, in the meantime, we got to get, get the other guys ready. There's so many pluses to his game, Alina. You know, the experience now at this stage of his career, his competitive fire, um, you know, his ability to be able to match up on the top receivers in our league, that's rare to have a guy like that. Uh, the confidence that he plays with, uh, the takeaways that he gets for us, the big plays, the punch outs, the interceptions, and then the intangible, his leadership. You know, guys follow him, not necessarily because of how verbal he is from a leadership standpoint, but his example. He's such a hard worker that's so talented that whether you're a linebacker or a defensive lineman, you see his work ethic, it becomes infectious. And 
you like to have your better players with that type of work ethic, and uh, that rubs off on the other guys. And um, and then the fact that he's a really good player, along with all those other things I mentioned. Uh, but those are the things that make, that make him really good. His competitive fire is supreme. It's it's at a different level. I've seen that the, the coach in him uh, as he's talking with Kyrie, as he's talking with Kristen, Jamarcus, uh, the different young guys that we have in the secondary. Um, you know, just trying to work with them and and. and be around them in the meetings, uh, watching their, their drill work and giving comments. He's been real positive. He's been an encouragement uh, to our other defensive backs. And his presence, uh, I think, helps uh, those guys, the fact that he's around. So. Wesley, uh, you commented on the rookie corners already um, and their playing zone coverage. But just overall, the rookies as a whole transitioning from playing mostly man in college to playing a lot more zone in the NFL, what were your impressions of the rookies after their first preseason game, and how tough is it to make that transition from mostly man to zone? Yeah, it, it's it's definitely different. Um, and I don't know, Matt, if you could see it with our linebackers a little bit, you know, coming from, like you mentioned, a lot of zone in college and then playing some more man uh, concepts here in the pros or vice versa. Uh, some teams in college are heavy man and less zone, and, you know, we're a little bit of both. Uh, but it's 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 a big transition playing as much zone as we will some weeks, and there's other weeks where we'll, we're going to be heavy man. Uh, but for a guy to go from spot drop into a certain certain area certain area on the field to having to lock up on some premier running backs or premier wide receivers all over the field, uh, that takes some skill and it takes some work as well. And it's a big transition uh, because of the talent level of the people that you're going against. So the technique, the fundamentals that are required, and that's where we come in as coaches to help them with that, is of the utmost importance. And that's a big transition for a guy coming from college where it's more scheme, 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 uh, because of the number of hours they can practice compared to us, where it's just all football all the time. Uh, it's, a, it's a big transition for sure. All right, that's defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier addressing the media earlier today. He was asked a question about Tredavious, and while he said, you know, Tredavious's competitive fire is unmatched, it's on another level, and people are anxious to know when Tredavious will be ready to play, Steve, it's clear that there is no timetable even for the coaches to have an idea on whether they'll have him or not. So not knowing whether you'll have Tredavious compels Leslie Frazier and his defensive staff to play these younger players as much as they are because if Tredavious is not ready by week one, Dane Jackson is going to be on one side, but there's a very good chance Kyrie Elam and or Christian Benford could be on the other side. Right. So you better get them ready right? because the Rams ready. are coming at you with Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, and Van Jefferson. Have yeah. fun with that. Yeah, they got some guys. So you're going to have to uh, make some decisions. And I think right now, I mean, say, for instance, they play this game on Saturday and then all of a sudden Tredavious still isn't practicing, which he may, may well not be. Then you start to get to a point where even if he comes back and he's 100% healthy, he's got a lot of rust to knock off. So, yeah, they got to get these guys ready. They're gonna ha they need as many good cornerbacks as they can possibly put on the field. they got Taron Johnson. 
They've got and and that's they got Dane Jackson who have played last year, and that's it. The two rookies. It's Benford and Elam. You know, Cam Lewis. Okay, he can play, but you know, you got to go into a season with a very young group out there if yeah. Tredavious isn't on the field, and they got to be ready for that. But <laughs> there's just no getting around it. Some of these guys, they're all going to have to play and play well. Break time for us here. When we come back, some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet. What players on the Bills roster do you need to know more about and see more of in the upcoming preseason game? Give us your choices. Tell us why. We'll read them here next on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. It's One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And Twitter question on the table today is basically asking you, which Bills player do you need to know more about in the team's next preseason game and why? Um, fair question, because one preseason game does not an evaluation make. And leading us off today is Herb M. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Herb says, I would like to see more of Terrell Bernard. He had a good game against the Colts for the most part. I would like to see how he follows it up with this game against the Broncos. A lot of the rookies had encouraging performances last week. The question now, as we just heard from Coach Frazier, is can you stack another one on top of that? It's the consistency factor that has to kick yeah. in now for these guys. It's the same thing about, you know, I've been talking a lot um, to every, everywhere I go, everybody wants to talk about Matt Ariza. And I tell them the exact same thing that Leslie Frazier is telling us about the DBs. If you're riding this roller coaster, you want to slice off the drops, you know, the bottom sloop, you know, the, the cut out spots. the troughs. Yeah, cut out the troughs. You don't want to have an 82 yard punt one week and have one 82 yarder, a 62 yarder, and then a 15 yarder. The 15-yarder is unacceptable. You can't go into a football game knowing that's an option. Your bad punt's got to be like 40, 38 yards. You know, you've got to have a chance to go down and cover. You've got to switch the field. So while Matt Ariza had this boomer the other day, you don't want him to come out next time and hit one off the side of his foot, net 15. Same thing with Elam and Benford and Bernard and Spectre, all these guys. They came out and they played well, just like you and I have been talking about them all training camp. But you can't have the bad play where you have a, a brain freeze and all of a sudden your guy, the guy that you're guarding is running free down the sideline. They try and figure out every single way they can to put these young players in a spot where they have to think, react, and play really, really fast. And hopefully – and I said, I did this before. Hopefully, on a play, on a defensive call, they maybe run twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something they're not that familiar with. They just let them be instinctive and, and know what they're doing. You got to put them under some stress mentally to find out if they can handle it. Because that's that's what they're thinking about. They just want to know where the floor is on these guys. Where is it? Is it just a mediocre play, or is it where they go off the air and they're in the wrong spot and you're giving up the explosive play? That's yeah. kind of what. That's what he's at. That might be what was most encouraging to hear about Khalil Shakir's performance from Coach Dorsey when he addressed the media the other day on the heels of the first yeah, preseason exactly. game. He said, we lined Khalil up just about everywhere in the formation over the course of that game. 
he did not have a single mental bust, no mental errors or MEs, as the coaches call them, for Shakir. That's impressive. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the evaluation changes because right now at this stage, they're not really doing any game planning, as you know, Steve. Right. They're just letting those guys go out and play, hear the play call in the huddle or read the offense, whatever, and then react. Does does the mental processing change when there's a game plan in place? Not really. You just study no. the opponent maybe a little bit more. You're probably more well rehearsed with what plays are going to be called. Yeah. You got a heads up as to what kind is on the menu, and and a little bit. I'm sure they do a little bit of this. Like, you'll get at least like, hey, remember last week we were doing this and this. He goes, we're not doing any of that this week. So you can kind of take that off your menu. That's kind of pl of a plus. Okay. It's as much what you're not going to do and why. Also, you have an understanding as to a deeper in a, in a game plan setting, you know, why you're doing it because they, you know, this is the weakness of their defense. This is where their defense is vulnerable. This is where we're going to attack it. This is where our matchups are the best. So we're going to take that matchup and put it where they're vulnerable. That kind of thing. Um, you get that reasoning behind the play calls. But, you know, and on defense, same thing. When we're lined up, we know where they need to attack us. We know where we're weak, you know. Let's watch out for our match. You know, they're just the other side of the coin. Yeah. But game planning really streamlines the process during the week. That's why, you know, during the week you got you got a routine. You get it all in and you're ready on game day because you feel like you got a whole menu of plays. But you, the, I think the big thing in, at this point in history for the NFL is because the guys have an understanding of what that other team is. That's, yeah. that's the – the light years ahead of where they were back in the 60s and 70s, where these guys are now. No question They just it. have a better understanding of the other guy. We have to take a break here, but when we return, we're going to find out what the hell is going on at the Panthers-Patriots joint practices the last couple of days. Fights galore. Here to tell us more about it in the second hour of the show will be Patriots writer for The Athletic, Chad Graff. He joins us next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. I'm a little. Steve. A blimp. We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, here we are. Hour number two on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And happy to be joined now by the man who sat ringside today at UFC 280 up there in Foxborough. Uh, for Patriots-Panthers joint practices day two. It's Patriots writer for the Athletic, Chad Graff, joining us on the line. Uh, Chad, were you able to steer clear of the violence today? I was. I'm not sure that every fan was. If that was uh, UFC 248, that was uh, an eventful one. I'm not sure what the undercard was. Maybe that was yesterday's <laughs> brawl. Um, but it was, it was another crazy day for them. Matt Slater said... You know, look, we're football players, not MMA players, not MMA fighters. And then you watch that video that you're seeing right now on the screen. And uh, perhaps the fan in the front row who got hit might beg to differ. So it this was the first play today, right? Like McCaffrey got hit out of bounds <laughs> or something, right? 
So they did some warm-ups, and then they started off the day with special teams with kickoff, which seems like perhaps an odd thing to start off with since kickoff is a full-speed drill. Um, Apparently, it was not intended to be a full-speed, full-contact kickoff drill. And yet, one day after the fights broke out involving Panthers safety Kenny Robinson and Patriots wide receiver Christian Wilkerson, those two happened to be on kickoff. And uh, Robinson comes running down the field, allegedly, this part's a little bit unclear, but supposedly hits Wilkerson from the side in an injury that looked pretty bad. Wilkerson was down for a while. We're still not sure how he's doing. Um, But Panther safety Kenny Robinson kind of stood over him, taunted a little bit, and that's where um, Patriots players really took exception with that. So they kind of stopped the drill after that big scuffle. Like, all right, you know what? We're done with this. We're moving on from special teams. Let's go to 11 on 11. And then the very next play is the one where Christian McCaffrey gets hit maybe out of bounds, maybe right before he's about to go out of bounds, kind of right on the line. Given everything that just happened, though, tempers were already high. And then that's where the big punches were thrown. Two fights basically in two minutes. And uh, at that point, both coaches had to gather their teams and, and try to calm things down and try to somehow get the practice back on the rails. What, is, what led to that? What, what are the mindsets of both these clubs that, you know, it seems to be pervasive all the way down the roster where, you know, there's a little chippiness that guys are on edge. Guys don't want to be embarrassed on the field. Guys, what, what do you think is behind these two teams? Having it because we just ha- heard that the Niners and the Minnesota Vikings had two days of it and they didn't have a single scuffle. Um, right. was, what leads to this? What do you think? What's your best take? Friends in Minnesota and all was fine out there for their joint practices. Uh, but it basically started yesterday as the Panthers defenders were taught and told, hey, really get after it during these drills. Even if you can't tackle, make sure you're trying to strip the ball away. Uh, so that was what they did and some Patriots players took exception to that I'm like come on man this drill is over stop trying to rip the ball out of my hands and if you do stop celebrating like this was a fumble this drill was basically over so you get some chippiness from that um, then eventually it boils over with one guy throwing a football in the other guy's face some pushing some shoving that all set the scene for today um, so yesterday there were three players kicked out today they kick out Um, you know, the guy who levels the big hit during kickoff and then a couple more players on the ensuing play. So after that, things finally slowed down. But I also think that it's noteworthy that um, a lot of those involved were on the roster bubble. And these are guys who are trying to make an impact. And perhaps in the case of Kenny Robinson, just took things a a little bit too far in what Matt Rule called uh, a drill that was not supposed to be full contact, full speed. And then Matt Rule afterward said he's not ruling out cutting Kenny Robinson over this because of these actions. So, and you kind of gave a little bit of a idea of it there, but what have been, where have the coaches kind of come down on this when they've been asked about it, Belichick and Rule? So they go back a little bit farther than I think I initially realized just because Belichick has some connections to Temple. Matt Rule used to be the coach there. Um, they've got some mutual friends. So that's how this kind of started. And, They agreed before these joint practices, hey, anything that sort of resembles a fight, we're going to kick people out over. Uh, And then then I think they got a lot more than um, what they had expected in in training camp and in some joint practices. It's not uncommon for pushing and shoving or jawing or sideline celebrating. But 
what we saw the last two days was uh, far and away different from that to the point where practice had to be stopped for a bit today. Um, so just kind of a, a surreal time here in Foxborough. And, um, you know, I haven't covered this team nearly as long as others, but a lot of people said uh, this was as far as the joint practices have gone under the Bill Belichick era. Who is at, at this per current moment as you, we move along – are there any rookies or this draft class of the Patriots have anybody shining? Who's up, who's down, and, and who's calling plays? <laughs> that last one is the, the million-dollar question that I'm not sure we're going to know until week one at Miami. But I, I think it's probably going to be Matt Patricia, um, even though Joe Judge called the majority of plays in the preseason opener. That was mostly with the third string. Matt Patricia called the plays for the second string and has called plays pretty much throughout training camp, including today. He also holds the title of offensive line coach, so perhaps it was noteworthy that um, during seven-on-seven -seven drills when the offensive line went for drills against the Panthers' defensive line, Patricia stayed over by Mac Jones and the quarterbacks and was the one calling in plays. So at this point, I'd be very surprised if it's not him. Um, which is going to be a fascinating story to follow just because he goes from the guy who was, uh, you know, at least deemed as a defensive whiz, the mad scientist who was Belichick's right-hand man to the failed head coaching stint in Detroit um, that left Lions players popping champagne when he was fired uh, to now coming back and essentially being the de facto offensive coordinator. I think that's going to be a fascinating storyline to follow throughout the season. Uh, and then when you you talk about the rookies and ask about them, Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver, the second round pick with the crazy fast 40 time, he's a guy who I think has really improved throughout camp and kind of refined his route running so that he's more than just a speed guy, more than just a downfield guy. And it'll be interesting to see how he fits in this mix of Patriots wide receivers, where I think you could argue there's a lot of decent wide receivers, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, but perhaps not a true number one. So it's going to be interesting to see where he fits in that mix. Can you – do you have a sense, Chad, as to the fan concern over the change at offensive coordinator, especially in light of the fact that, you know, I know Matt Patricia spent a brief time on the offensive side of the ball in his coaching career, but, I mean – most guys that get promoted to this job have a, a heavy and lengthy background on the offensive side of the ball and ascend into a role like this. It's almost like Matt Patricia kind of got dropped out of the sky, even though he's familiar to Patriots fans, to, to run this position with only a second-year quarterback. Is there a sense of concern from the Patriots fan base that you have on this? For sure. I, it's definitely a bizarre situation. As you mentioned, there's kind of a way and a linear track that these things go. You're a running backs coach and then a tight end coach and then an offensive line coach and then a quarterback coach. And eventually you work your way up to that position. Of course, that's not uh, exactly what is happening. And I think the, the major concern comes from Mac Jones showed in year one that he has the potential to be a franchise quarterback. Uh, I, I think it's probably safe to say that he was the best rookie quarterback, which would have surprised a lot of people given, you know, the quarterbacks that were taken in front of him. And yet 
the last thing that you want to do is mess with that or mess that up going into year two when all of these other quarterbacks, Joe Burrow included recently, going back to Patrick Mahomes, even though he didn't play year one, a lot of those great quarterbacks really take the next step, as you guys know, in Buffalo uh, once year two comes around. And so it, it's got to be at least a little bit nerve wracking that the year Mac Jones is supposed to take that next step. Um, he's got a mostly defensive guy potentially calling plays and a guy in Joe judge who spent a lot of time on special teams as his quarterbacks coach. So it, it's for sure, at least a little bit uneasy. We've uh, heard reports and it's, you know, it's been a thing coming out of training camp that the offensive struggled off, you know, mightily. Is that overblown or is there something really for them to be worried about? And does it stem from the players, the roster, or does it stem from this uncertainty of who's calling plays? I think it's got to start with the scheme and the play calling and, and how things are going. Um, I think that they would probably tell you it's overblown, that they are trying some different things out and perhaps tweaking some things. And this is too early to make judgments or to cause concern. I think I would probably disagree. I, I think this is a fair time to wonder how this is going to work out and what's going on. I think the offensive line, the personnel is there. They're just kind of figuring their way through this scheme change and this change in how they're going to run block. Um, but I think it's fair to be concerned about the wide receivers. We mentioned the depth that they have yet, you know, probably the lack of a true number one receiver. Um, and then, you know, there's just the issue of how this is going to work with Mac Jones and what is the downfield passing going to be like? And is it best for his career to be, surrounded in this situation so you know at this point in mid-august they would say it's overblown but i think it's a story that is fair to discuss and and we're thinking about what about the situation at corner chad um you've got some guys there that have now been lost for the season veteran players they may not have been lock you know lock surefire starters um, but they were going to probably play a role of some kind in the secondary. And now Juwan Williams and Malcolm Butler are both on IR, done for the year. Um, why don't you pick up the pieces for us at cornerback in terms of what they have left to work with there? Less concern there, actually, even though that is a position that entered training camp with a lot of unknowns and, you know, fairly some worry. And yet, They've done very well through camp and, and really had a great couple of days against Carolina. Perhaps you could argue that's because of uh, the quarterbacks in Carolina and the roster and, and just the situation there. But having said all of that, Jalen Mills is having a great, great camp, put together two really good days in these joint practices. Um, and it looks like he could kind of ascend into that role of a true number one cornerback that the Patriots have been so fortunate to have with J.C. Jackson last year and Gilmore before that. Um, so that spot looks pretty secure. Opposite him, Jonathan Jones is playing well. They've got a rookie in Marcus Jones who's playing well. Their safety depth is very good. So surprisingly, um, this is not something I would have guessed to say maybe three weeks ago, but I don't think there's a ton of concern right now about the secondary. Yeah, how about their total defense? It, do they deserve a little bit more consideration than people have been willing to give them? They looked very slow, very old late last year, particularly you know in the in Week 16 matchup with the Bills and in the wild card playoff. I mean, they just seemed to hit the end of the road really quickly last year. They certainly did, and I think – it's been interesting to kind of figure out how to balance the offensive struggles of 
Is the offense struggling because they're going through the scheme change and trying to figure out how things are going to work and where Mac Jones's reads are and how to run block in this scheme? Or is it that the defense legitimately is that much quicker and faster and has sideline speed now and the secondary is good and the pass rush is better? Um, it, it's kind of a tough thing to balance. I will say that they had an incredible day against the Panthers yesterday. I keep coming back to the caveat that this is the Carolina Panthers. And so who knows just how much stock to put into that, but they do look, I think, faster and better. And I think there's reason to be a little bit optimistic about where New England's defense is at right now. The offensive line has four of five players returning from last year it's basically just the rookie right Cole Strange that's the new guy in the front five there but yet we hear all these disappointing reports from people you know covering the beat like yourself that the offense can't execute a play they can't run block against their own defense um, Mac is under all kinds of duress he's chucking balls away to avoid sacks what is this accurate? Like, what are we, is this every day or is this just a bad day or two? What are, what are we dealing with here? Because people were ready to call the Dante Scarnecchia hotline last week. They certainly were. And it, it's weird because it's kind of the opposite of the cornerback situation where there was a lot of concern going in about that position and so far so good on that front. And yet it's kind of the opposite on the offensive line. I, I still think given the personnel um, it's just going to take a little bit of time as they switch to this zone rushing scheme that we've seen, you know, follow the Kubiaks and the Shanahan's and so many teams try to um, implement. I think it'll take some time. I'm not super concerned about them just because of the personnel that's there. I think that they probably deserve a little bit benefit of the doubt, but if this is still going on, next week and the week after that, then at that point, it's probably time to start worrying as that Dolphins game uh, starts creeping up the calendar. And I know that you just uh, made the switch from the Minnesota Vikings beat over to the New England beat. What can you tell us about the Vikings and this new coach, Kevin O'Connell, in year one with their franchise? I've been super, super impressed by uh, Kevin O'Connell. You know, he's one of Sean McVay's understudies, and I think with that comes – a little bit of scrutiny or a level of doubt, like is this guy just riding the coattails of the latest hot coach? And yet uh, it's been very impressive to see what he's done with that offense so far. Um, it's an offense that these AFC East teams are all going to see and one that has the potential, even given the questions, even given you know the fact that Kirk Cousins probably isn't a top 10 quarterback. They still boast Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, you combine all of that with the offense that helped the Rams win the Super Bowl last year. And I think that the Vikings could be a pretty sneaky team in terms of putting together a top 10 offense and being a team that is right in the mix for uh, one of those wildcard spots. I still think they're a level behind Green Bay in that division, um, but I've been super impressed by Kevin O'Connell so far. Chad, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, good luck uh, steering clear of, any fisticuffs that might be flying your way to back off of the sidelines over there. All right. I know you guys actually have an overview vantage point there. You're not anywhere near the sidelines most of the time, right? Uh, right. I still think I may need to bring boxing gloves next time, but for now <laughs> we're safe so far. All right. Good enough. Thanks, Thanks Chad. Chad. We'll catch Appreciate up with you, you down the line. Thanks guys. Talk to you later. All right. That's Patriots reporter for the athletic Chad Graf joining us breaking down 
some of the extracurricular activities that have been happening at the joint practices between apparently, Patriots and Panthers. <laughs> apparently, it's been an extracurricular extravaganza down oh, yeah. there. I, it's yeah. a, this has got – I mean, like here's the thing. There's phone videos on Twitter that you can see of this whole – Right, but this spills into the first row with the fans. Yeah, I mean, apparently one of the fans got hurt. You're, digging with, you're like dealing God, with big humans too. here, and a lot of weight is literally being thrown around. You know, you're an average size human being. You, you got to get the heck out of there. The best part about it is we watch, we're watching a video now for those of you on radio, and there's just like there's people, you know, staff members, like just standing there, like you know, 25 feet away. There's like literally a hundred guys in a in a ball, swinging and fighting and pushing and shoving. And there's just favorite you know, thing. it's like you're like on the street just watching. My you know. favorite thing is the equipment guy that comes runs over and then grabs pulls the, the ball bag, bag away. <laughs> But uh, we don't want anybody tripping over the ball bag. I'm right, not gonna get. Right. I'm not gonna get, you know, blamed for this. I'm the ball boy. I'm getting this bag of balls out of here so no player trips over it and gets hurt. Here it comes. Here it comes. Get, get, get it out of there. Get it out of there. Go yeah. go go. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, I can picture myself in this whole scenario. What I would have done. What would Steve do? What would Steve would go over? I'd be right there around where number thirty is there on the. You'd be come up to the edge yeah. and make sure that you didn't get sucked into the vortex. Hmm. I would stand there, back away, make sure that whoever was standing around here had the exact same jersey on that I did, and I would stay there. You would you say anything? Hey guys, come on, knock it off! Anyway. I would not say anything. No, no, that's not. Kelly used to just Kelly used to egging on, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, let's go! Uh, come on, come on!" He's standing over there, you know, with Ted Marchabroda <laughs> drinking a glass of water. But it's—I've told you—I I came into the league. It was the steroid era in the NFL, well, right? And yeah. there were guys, you know, offensive linemen were two ninety with thirty-six inch waists. They're six-five. Yeah, I mean, they were bodybuilders. And roid rage was a real thing. Yeah, they called it. Guys had fuses that were so small, it was like so the Incredible Hulk. Exactly. And if you didn't have like six more guys that were also juicing with two guys who were juicing, get into a fight. It, it was a death match because you couldn't separate them. Yeah. Nobody was strong enough. It's not anybody that who wasn't juicing. Yeah. So you had to have like <laughs> you had to have like 10 of those guys. So if two of them got into a fight, the other eight could pull them apart. Yeah. Because if you didn't pull them apart, they pull each other apart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It, and it was real. I mean, it was like. You know, it was a death match, and it would last what? for, you know, 30 10 seconds. or 15 seconds. Yeah. And they'd pull them apart, and they'd get a couple of breaths in them, and they'd, and they'd let them go. And then it was like, you know, then the next period, those guys are taking a knee side by side going, hey, no, my bad. Yeah, no worries. You know? That's did, kind you, did you ever experience a scenario where a bad injury was – the result of one not of those Not that scraps. I remember. Not that I remember. Because you see these guys pushing you can and pulling see, on each yeah, other. Yeah, you'll see fingers getting busted and that fingers kind of Fingers getting thing, busted or even like somebody's shoulder getting yanked the wrong way. And yeah, but that – but, oof, man, back in back in the day, I mean, it, it would take a massive amount of energy to even dent one of those guys. Yeah. You know, it Unless – the only time where I think coaches really get worried is when you either have a guy punching a helmet – which, you know, you can break your hand pretty easy doing right. that. Or when the helmets come off and gets start to get used as weapons. That's when you really yeah. got to get concerned. Well, that, you get hit in the head with a helmet without a helmet on your own head. The dangerous thing is when it, happens, when, the, when it happens out in space. 
when it happens down in the trenches where there's 16 guys standing around, guys are right there. Yeah, you there's know, no room to operate. There's no room to operate, and, and you're, you've got all of those guys grabbing you before that stuff gets going. But it is an absolutely intense scene in there, and you can feel it. You can feel the emotion. And then, you know, like in these things now, nowadays you or see the it rage. Where, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that they start to pull them apart or whatever, and, and you're trying to help a guy get pull a guy apart, and then somebody doesn't like what you're doing because you've got you're grabbing you're helping a guy with the wrong jersey on or whatever, and then they he gets mad at you and you then you know then he hits you, whatever, you know it just escalates, like we're seeing in this Patriot Carolina right. film. It's you know it's oh and he's right, um, Chad was right. A lot of these guys it happens to are roster bubble guys, yeah, and they're and they're young. Because they believe every play is going to get them cut. I've told you that story before. You know how you ride that roller coaster yeah. mentally. You have a bad rep. You think that's going to end your football career, and you you don't want to have it, and you get mad at it. You know you you act out because of it. So when they get over the fact that they realize it, it's not going to be just one bad rep that does it to you. You can you kind of stop fighting later in life. It's, I mean, I understand why it happens. It's just crazy when you see it happen again and again and again. Especially in those joint practices. Well, this was a this sounds has smacks of retaliation from yesterday. Yeah. Too. Well, and then the opening kickoff. Yeah, yeah the, that, the that guy was that, what the guy that got rolling. The two guys that got thrown out yesterday were on kickoff, kickoff return. Yeah. One guy's got an assignment. He's laying there. Guy goes out of his lane, goes over and whacks the guy. Yeah, the other guy's got yeah, an agenda. It's retaliation. So that's that's unacceptable as well. Right. Um, some updates from Bill's practice that uh, we wanted to pass along to you. Uh, from today involve the following. Not participating in practice today, Tim Settle, Kingsley Jonathan, the undrafted rookie defensive end, Micah Hyde, Spencer Brown. So Tim Settle is dealing with a calf problem, Kingsley Jonathan dealing with an ankle issue, and Micah Hyde and Spencer Brown, fortunately both of them just dealing with general soreness. Both of those players could be back as early as tomorrow in practice. And we saw Spencer Brown walking around the sidelines today. Didn't really look like he was suffering from anything significant. And Micah Hyde was actually working with trainers on the side, presumably to get some of that soreness out of his body. Sometimes right. you get that buildup of lactic acid and you have soreness. Sometimes the best way to get it out is to move around and get the blood flow going again. And he was doing some of that on the side with the strength and conditioning staff. Right. So hopefully we will... Uh, See them back out on the practice field tomorrow. We have to take a break here. When we get back, more of your thoughts on the tweet sheet concerning who you need to see more of to get a better feel for on this Bills roster. We asked you that on the tweet sheet, but also at 803-0550. Open lines for you there if you want to chime in on the phones. Otherwise, hit us up at One Bills Live. We'll get to those tweet sheet comments next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. back here on one bills live and want to get right to the tweet sheet where we have been asking you who do you need to see more of as we get closer to preseason game number two we only had our first initial exposure in a game setting to the roster as it's currently constituted 
in preseason game one against the Colts last week. Which Bills player do you need to know more about and see more of this coming weekend? So we go to the tweet sheet here, and who am I up to here? I believe it. No, we did Herb. So JT says Keenum. His first performance was horrible and scary to think he will back up Allen. Heaven forbid he gets injured. Barkley played great and is one of Josh's buddies. He still got it. Also need to see something from O.J. Howard. Didn't see much of him in the first preseason game. Uh, let's start with Keenum, Steve. First and foremost, there were a number of factors that contributed to the offensive performance when Keenum was in the game. Right. And I don't think anything negative that happened in the first preseason game is going to change the team's quarterback depth chart right now. No. I mean, I, I know what people say. He had one bad throw. It was he answered the one turnover with a bad the back, back shoulder, shoulder throw, throw to Isaiah bad. Hodgins. Yeah. But the tipped interception off Crowder's hands, Kumaro's fumble on turnovers, um, and there was one later, and I can't remember what it was, uh, besides the back shoulder. There was like a five tipped pass off Crowder's hands right. for an interception. Well, that was early. That was the first yes. one, I think. Yeah. But anyway, that um, I'm not down on Keenum, and I know people are are down on him, thought he you know played bad. I thought uh, – yeah, I didn't think it was it was all totally him. Certainly the play we're looking at right now with the tipped-off Crowder and all that. But. And I realize it's only practice, but in all fairness, he's had some very good practices here through the course of training camp. Oh, had I don't a beautiful, think – Had a beautiful throw today. Right. Dropped it over the shoulder of Duke Johnson down the sideline on an anticipatory throw and, I mean, synced it up beautifully, and Duke Johnson ran right under it. Uh, he's made – a handful of those kinds of throws. Yeah, don't panic. I guess my my thought would be don't panic about Keenum. Yeah. Um, he's a good QB. He's going to be fine. And, and the guys around him, when you get him with the first offensive line, you get him with the number one wide receivers. And although Crowder, you could make the case, could be that. Um, yeah, it's going to look better. I, I'm, I'm okay yeah. with him. Barkley did p play great. We do have to remember it was against third-teamers. And right. I think Barkley would excel against – most third-string guys in the NFL because I think he's better than that. Um, but I don't see the quarterback pecking order changing anytime soon. As for O.J. Howard, he did play a lot in that first game. I think the whole first half, as a matter of fact, last week. Um, I think that here's where I kind of come down on O.J. Howard. I wonder, because this is the first time He's on a different roster than the one he was drafted to in Tampa. And I wonder if the acclimation period for him might take a little bit longer. I'm not trying to give him a pass because plays in the passing game have been few and far between. And I think there was an expectation that he would be performing at a level on par with Dawson Knox and I just don't think his time in the offense has been sufficient enough for him to be anything close to that. Um, he's got to put it together, too. Don't get me wrong. Right. There's a responsibility on his part to make more of an impact as well. But I'm willing to wait on it a little bit longer before I pass judgment, which is why I think he is a guy that we probably do need to see more of I this week. Right. Yeah. Um, not, there's no question it's Dawson Knox and then the rest of the guys. Um, Knox, if there's a tight end on the field, it's going to be Dawson Knox first. And I think it's going to remain that way even after training camp breaks. I don't think 
um, you know, Sweeney or O.J. Howard, for that matter, is, has done enough yeah. to even give you an inkling. And the, the, now it's, it's the point where Art is Sweeney, Knox, Gillian, or um, Quentin, Morris. Quentin Morris has actually made more plays than any of them. So is, yeah. it, is one of those guys or two of those guys good enough to give the Bills some thoughts about running 12 personnel? or two tight, or 22 personnel, or anything. Well, they only um, carried three tight ends on the active roster last year. If right. you're going to run significantly more 12 personnel, you probably need more than right. three, right? Even if right. you have Gilliam as, know, a, if Gillian, as a if, fallback if option. If you count him, you need three tight ends and Gilliam, you'd be fine. Yeah. But I don't think they've gotten to the point where two tight end set is, I, yeah. is a high on the priority list for them. I think you might see a slight uptick in the amount of snaps that they use 12 personnel in comparison to last year, but I don't think it's going to be anything significant. Maybe Not it's a either. 2 or 3% increase. Not even. Five, 5 at the most. I, I don't see it. I don't either. you got I, too much receiver talent. Uh, Why yeah. would you go to that? That's the point. I, I think we had this idea that with O.J. Howard and maybe Sweeney spreading his wings a little bit this year – that they would be able to go two tight end sets and then spread it out as well, get spread them out, beat them wide with those two guys, yeah. uh, with Diggs and Davis, and those two tight ends, spread them out and put James Cook out there or whatever, whoever, throw it out of that formation, throw it really effectively so as to change the defensive personnel. And if they did change it, you spread them out and bring them back in tight and then run out of it behind two big tight ends. Yeah, I don't see that happening yeah. at this point. Which brings us to Steve's comment on the tweet sheet. My choice is the entire tight end room behind Dawson Knox. To me, this is the most perplexing position group by far. I thought O.J. Howard was going to be the guy without a doubt, but he's been invisible for the most part, according to reports from practice. Who is going to step it up? Well, as you said, Steve, the guy that's flashed the most after Dawson Knox has been Quentin, Quentin Morris, Morris yeah. the former undrafted rookie from last year. He, and here's the key. As far as I'm concerned, he's a former receiver that was converted right. to the tight end position. He has natural hands in the passing game, and they've shown up from time to time. I mean, not every day like Dawson Knox, right. but I think of the other guys on the roster at tight end, he's flashed the most in the passing game. I think Quentin is one of those guys that is a quintessential poster child for the development team. He's better than he was last year, yep. way better. And if he continues in this track, he's going to surpass a couple of the other guys, Sweeney and maybe maybe OJ. So I, he, he's intriguing to, intriguing to me because he's got wide receiver skills, mm -hmm. and it's a throwing league. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you. The the tight end room is very very intriguing for this preseason i want to see what these guys can do i want to see a guy you know get some opera like an oj howard or a tommy sweeney somebody besides dawson knox who we kind of feel like we know about some of these other guys let's see what they got give them some opportunities give them some targets in this game see how they respond and whether they can be a game changers i don't think we know that yet about any of them yeah other than knox right i get what you're saying uh this one let me see here this is this person liked it. He tweeted, Chris says, Jamison Crowder. Hodgins is playing great. Kumaro, outstanding special teamer. If McKenzie starts in the slot, Shakir can back up. May not need Crowder, which may allow us to keep third tight end instead of six wide receivers go Bills. I, 
I got to tell you, I don't see any way that Jamison Crowder is not on this roster. He is a proven veteran performer. And for me, in a year where you are going for the whole enchilada, you need as many capable veteran players as you can find. And Jamison Crowder is that in a big way. And so even if Isaiah McKenzie is the quote-unquote starter in the slot, that doesn't mean Jamison Crowder is off this roster in any way, shape, or form as I see it. And let's not forget this. Isaiah McKenzie is diminutive in stature. Knock on wood, he's been a very available player, very healthy player, but he's never had a role this large in an offense. 17 games is a long season. A guy of similar stature, Cole Beasley, could not get through a 17-game season without getting nicked up in both 2020 and 2021 because it was Isaiah McKenzie filling in for Cole Beasley in a very important Week 16 game against the Patriots, and he answered. So if you lose McKenzie for two weeks, I love Shakir, but give me the veteran in a must-have situation in the regular season, yeah, maybe and, in an important maybe, division game or two. Maybe maybe Khalil Shakir can you know can earn that trust. Yeah. During the season, I, lo- I love Shakir, but yeah. we're going for the whole banana this year. Right. So I mean, I'm with you. And give me a veteran if he's that important. You know, keep all three of those guys. Yes. Um, and I, there's nothing that says Crowder can't slide outside in, in a pinch as well or, in, or you know, switch places with Davis and Diggs or whoever. But um, Shakir, and, and we've done this before. We did it with Christian Wade uh, for a couple of years. You know, he comes in, he splashes in the preseason. Let's, let's give it a chance. And Christian Wade's the perfect example of a guy who came out and made a big splash in the preseason games, but it didn't translate off the field into practices and the preparation and his understanding of what was really going on because of his rugby player. Yeah. Um, all the same stuff we don't know about Shakir yet or even Crowder or any of these guys. So, But Crowder is a proven performer at this level. He's got one season in his entire career where he hasn't had at least 50 receptions. You can't ignore that kind of proven production on bad teams. Yeah. Washington and the Jets. Right. Guy produced on bad teams. Put him in a good offense, he could flourish here. Yeah, he could. And it's um, – right. I, I'm interested to see how much – and probably significant amount – how much the Bills do give – how much credit they give him for what he's done, not only for the Jets, but against them himself, yeah. their defense. They've seen him play against themselves. Um, that's big. Uh, Crowder probably gets a little bit of benefit from that if you're the Bills. Because, let's face it, a lot of these guys, they got to come in and earn it. Saffold, Kessenberry – all of these players from other teams, these free agents, they got to yeah. say, okay, let's see, Tim Settle, let's see you play. But Crowder has been killing us for years against us. Yeah. Now they've seen Saffold play against them a couple of times, once a year in the last few years. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff happens, and that does go a long way. But Crowder's a guy the Bills tried to get three years ago before he signed with the Jets. Yeah. So they know him. They tried to get Crowder before they signed Beasley. That's right. So just think about that for a second. Right. We have to take a break. When we come back, some of your final thoughts on the tweet sheet, along with your advice for me regarding my escapee dog who won't stay in her crate and instead finds my son's bed far more comfortable. 
We'll uh, address those suggestions along with the final thoughts on the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And one other thing I'll say about the slot receiver thing and the whole Crowder debate with Isaiah, look, it looks as though Isaiah does have a good grip on the top slot receiver role. Um, but we had an interesting conversation on our podcast, Bills by the Numbers, with Bills receivers coach Chad Hall, and we proposed this to him. Which, And the question was, could you see the slot receiver position being a shared role? And he said, yeah, it could yeah. happen. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say it's definitely happening, but he didn't rule it out. As a possibility. Well, depth it's a seventeen-game yeah, season. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's, and you don't ever want to be without one of those guys in today's NFL. Those guys are so crucial, and like it used to be, you know, good tight end is a young quarterback's best friend, or a running game is a quarterback's best friend. Slot receivers, the, with the way they run their offenses now, the guy comes off the ball and just looks for a place to get open. He goes there. Yeah, uh, it's his read. So. And the quarterback reads the same thing. So it's a very easy throw. And a guy with a guy like Josh and his arm, he just bang, puts it right on him, and it's a yep. completion. Let's go. Um, you got to have one of those guys on the field. And, you know, that right now they've got three pretty good ones in, yeah. with Shakir playing like he's playing. No question. Some of the advice that you pass along regarding my escapee dog who won't stay in her crate and instead <laughs> likes my son's bed better. Westside Tom, thanks. You said put something of my son's in the cage with the dog. Give It'll him be the room. soothing. Give him the room. And then Jeremy says about your dog who misses your son, my wife suggests placing an article of clothing in your son's crate to help make him feel better. We will try that. Thanks for the advice. Stevie Johnson on the show tomorrow. We'll see you at 1.